All right. Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab that, open it up. Uh, open it up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 24 here in just a little bit. But as a church over the last few weeks, we have been walking very slowly through this New Testament letter of Colossians. Uh, the, the book of Colossians is about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. And the person who wrote this letter to this group, this church in Colossae, was a guy named Paul. And so far, from the letter itself, we haven't learned very much about Paul. We may know about him a little bit, maybe from being a Christian or being in church for a little while. Um, but all we know about him is from the first line of the letter, and that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus. We see him say, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. But then after that, we see less and less about him and more about the group of people that he's writing to. I want to give just a brief flyover of what we've seen Paul encourage them with just in the first 20 verses or so. I'm going to pick four. Verse number four, he said, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Verse six, the gospel message, it's bearing fruit around the world just as it is among you and your Colossian church community. Verse 10, we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you may walk worthy of him and bear fruit in your life. And then verse 21, once you were separated from God, but now you have been reconciled through the work of Jesus. Over and over again, Paul is writing to this church to remind them, to encourage them of what is true. But in verse 24, where we're going to be this morning, there's actually a pivot in the language, you'll notice it. The, the, instead of words like you or your, the words are I and me and my. Paul is going to turn the focus onto himself, and he's going to begin to share with the Colossians what God has done in his life, what God has done through his ministry. And when I was studying the, the passage this week, kind of getting ready for, for this Sunday, I just I couldn't help but think about the people that God has put in my life as leaders or mentors. You know, I began to follow Jesus in high school. Uh, those were really formative years for me. And, and over the years, though, that I've been a Christian, much of my growth has come through leaders, faithful men and women that God has put in my life, people that I could ask questions to that didn't make me feel uh, stupid for not knowing where to look in the Bible for something or even what the Bible said. And as I look back on the last 20 years of my life, so much of my formation has come through people. You know, some of the most impactful conversations I remember, they weren't those you and your conversations. Like, come on, Tony, you should be doing this. Like, you should be reading the Bible that way or doing this, that. No, it was the I and me stuff they said. This is where I struggle in my own walk with the Lord. Like, this is where I'm at as a Christian. When they were reflecting on what God was doing in them, I remember those moments because they were so impactful for me. And we kind of get that vibe in the text this morning that that's what Paul is doing. That's what he's doing for this group of people that he's never met before. He turns the spotlight around onto himself and he writes about God's work in his own life. The great change that happened when he um, himself became a Christian and the aim and mission of his life took a total 180. We're going to see today that Paul's life was marked by three specific things. It was marked by suffering, it was marked by service, and it was marked by sharing Christ. And as we see Paul explain this this morning about his own life, we're actually going to see that if you are a Christian yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, those same three things are going to mark your life. 
that because of your faith in Jesus, your life will be marked by suffering well, by serving with diligence, and by sharing Christ with zeal. So that's where we're going this morning. Colossians chapter 1, if you have your Bible open, we're going to be starting in verse 24. We're just going to be in five verses today, 24 through 28. But let's start with the first one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. So Paul, he experienced significant suffering in his life as a follower of Jesus. And we know this because of a lot of other times in the Bible that he wrote explicitly about it. Paul, through God's inspiration and his power, he is the author of most of the New Testament. Apart from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who were written by those guys, um, Paul wrote most of the, the rest of the New Testament, the letters to the churches and many letters to individuals. And in these letters, there's encouragement, there's exhortation, Right? There's, there's warning. There's things like that. But a lot of times Paul's just saying, like, this is what I've been through. This is, this is the road God has me on walking. And if you want to read more about these, specifically 2 Corinthians, that letter is filled with Paul just saying, like, this is my life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm just going to read five verses. This is just kind of a, a snapshot, okay, of what Paul is telling the church in Corinth there about his life. He says, five times... I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Because the 40 lashes would signify, like, they thought that would kill the person. So he got lashed one less, five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Pretty much danger everywhere, okay? Verse 27, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is this daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. So as Paul reflects on his life, he looks back, and he's like, look, every single day, I think about the people of God in all these different places and if they're staying faithful to him. Here, Paul just gives a brief flyover of his life as a Christian, and it was one of suffering. Now, when we come across verses like that, we squirm a little bit, right? We're like, oh, I, I just don't like passages like that. And that's because one of the primary goals of our life not to have a life like that, right? We don't want to, later in our life, we don't want to be reflecting on our life and be like, all this stuff happened, right? Because none of us like to suffer. We do everything we can to keep ourselves from suffering in our life. Whether we have a hard day coming up or a difficult conversation to have with someone or, or struggles with our health, we try to make those hardships as just not like as least severe as we can. When we're tempted to, to, to numb the pain of a difficult day with substances. Or we avoid sharing uh, the truth with someone that we know they need to hear, but we're afraid of the suffering that will happen in that relationship, maybe. Or we put off going to the doctor because we're scared that, of what we may hear, right? We do all these things to avoid suffering. You know, I think this desire for physical comfort and just comfort in our life sometimes, it really does impact our mission as Christ followers in the world too. Because our lives easily become about ourselves. 
instead of others. Instead of praying for and serving and sharing our lives with unbelievers and possibly being rejected for believing the things that we do, we just kind of stay where we are. We don't pray for opportunities or we don't even share our lives with people outside of the church at all. Paul himself, he was experiencing suffering as he wrote this letter to the Colossians. He most likely wrote this letter when he was on Roman house arrest at the end of the book of Acts. And he was in jail because of his Christian life, because he talked about Jesus, because he shared the gospel, because he planted churches. But in this verse, we see that not only did Paul suffer and was Paul suffering, we also see him talk about his posture about it, how he feels (laughs) I mean, look at the verse again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. It says, now I can't stand that I'm suffering for you. No. <laughs> he says the opposite. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. Instead of being resentful of the difficulties that had came to him because of his Christian life, he embraced them. He rejoiced in them. Why? Because Paul knew that his suffering had purpose. And that purpose was so that God's power would be magnified in him and that others would see God. Right after what Paul wrote about the shipwrecks and the the beatings and all that, look at what he says in, in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This isn't on the screen, but here it is. I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. What what is that? Suffering. I take pleasure in that for the sake of Christ, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. See, Paul, he saw purpose in his suffering because it was in them that he experienced Christ's Power. They were, a, they were a reminder for him. Not only did Jesus suffer for him, but also it's that, it's that through suffering that we identify with Christ and what he accomplished for us. So we see Paul here saying in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. People I've never met, you know, this, this church that I've never seen before. He's, but he does say something interesting. He says, I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. Now, as I read that verse, it just sounds wrong. (laughs) It means it doesn't sound correct. I mean, because it sounds like Paul is saying there is something incomplete about the afflictions of Jesus, like what Jesus went through in accomplishing for, for people that he has redeemed. And it kind, of like, it kind of sounds like Paul saying, like, you know what? I'm kind of making up for what Jesus, like, couldn't do, for his inadequacy, what's lacking. Is that what he's saying? Well, from a lot of other scripture, we know it's not <laughs> what he's saying, right? But what is he getting at? Well, scholars and theologians, they debate this verse with more vigor and mental aptitude than I will ever be able to give to it, okay? Um, but we know that that's not what Paul's getting at because it contradicts all the other times he shares the gospel with people and all the other times the gospel is seen in the Bible. Jesus came to reconcile everything to himself and he did so through his life, death, and resurrection. Paul himself wrote that five verses ago. Go back and read Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. There's nothing inadequate about what Jesus did. 
Do you remember Jesus' own words as he hung on the cross about to die? What, is he, what, what three words did he say? It is finished. Jesus accomplished his mission. The cross made a way for people to be reconciled to God, and that comes by faith in what he did. So what is Paul saying here? What's he talking about? What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, I think, a lot of different views, right? What I think Paul is saying is that while Christ's sufferings are sufficient and that nothing can be added to them to make them more effective, what was lacking was the future suffering of Christians, like Paul, and what they would experience because of their faith in the gospel. That's what was lacking. You know, a great strategy for understanding difficult verses when we see passages, we're like, what does that mean? It's like, well, look around at other texts. Look around at other passages to help us interpret it. And we actually see Paul write something very similar in his letter to the Philippians. This was another church community. And he was writing about a guy named Epaphroditus. He had traveled to Paul and had just kind of blessed Paul from the Philippians just with his life and with his ministry. Um, but look at what Paul says about him as um, Epaphroditus is going back. Um, to that community. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 29. It says this, Therefore welcome him, welcome Epaphroditus in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. So suffering, right? But then look at what he says, to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So when you look at the original languages, what, making up for what's lacking and then what's said here in Philippians, it's very, very similar language. And here, that completion was fulfilled by Epaphroditus and his presence in Paul's life on behalf, of the, on behalf of the Philippian church. Okay, so when the Philippians sent him to Paul, they made up what was lacking in their ministry to him. What was that? It was their presence. The whole church couldn't be there. They, they couldn't go and see Paul. But what I think Paul is getting at here when he talks about completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, he means that in his suffering as a follower of Jesus, as he continues to trust God and cling to him, what he is doing is he is identifying with Christ, but he is continuing to be a light to the world. People see the sufferings of Jesus when they see the sufferings of Christians and how they respond. This is, a, this is a way we live out. This isn't a way that, that we verbalize the gospel all the time, but we identify with Christ in suffering. And then we share Christ with the world. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 25, Colossians chapter 1. I, Paul, have become its servant. It meaning the church there. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, or non-Jewish people, the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, before Paul became a Christian, he was a Jewish religious leader. He was raised in the customs of, and traditions of Judaism. And as an adult, he was actually a fierce enemy of Christianity. You can read all about this in Acts chapter 8 and 9. One day, though, Paul's life completely changed when he met Jesus. There's this miraculous encounter. And then instead of remaining an enemy of, of Christianity at, after that, he becomes an integral part of sharing the gospel to the world. Jesus even says, I'm going to let him know just how much he's going to suffer 
for my name. And we see this commission in verse 25. He says that he's become a servant of the church according to God's commission or job. But here is what his job was. Verse 26, to make the word of God fully known. Paul's new mission in life, instead of defending Judaism against the way, against the Christians, it was actually to believe that message and take that message of freedom in Christ and forgiveness from sin to the world. And when you see the beginnings of this in the book of Acts, the Christians are like, no way. This guy, like, killed us. <laughs> like, why is, no, there's, they reject him because his life was so against the faith. But God redeems it, and he uses them. And as Paul writes these words, he uses an interesting word to talk about the content of that, that message that he shares. He uses the word mystery, which is interesting. He says the mystery hidden from ages and generations now revealed to his saints. And then he says the glorious wealth of this mystery. So what's he getting at? Well, when we hear the word mystery, we think of something difficult to understand. Or just like, we're never going to get it, right? It's impossible to understand. We use that word to describe people <laughs> sometimes, right? After looking at the decision they make. Like, look, when he chose to do that, like, dude's a mystery. Like, I have no idea what he was thinking. Or, like, I have used this word in my own life to describe my inability to fix a problem. This was this week. I was staring at my weed whip in the garage. Doesn't work anymore. And on my head, I'm tearing it apart. Can't put it back together. It's like, why? Because it's a mystery. Like, I don't get it. I'm never going to know. Um, but while we use the word mystery in those ways, that's not what Paul is saying here. The word mystery here, instead of something being impossible to understand, it means something that was once hidden that has now been revealed. Not an unsolvable problem, but a life-changing truth that was once unable to be seen fully, but now it's out in the open. And Paul tells us what that mystery is. He says it's been revealed to the saints. God wanted to make it known among the Gentiles, which is non-Jewish people, which was crazy because God's revelation had only come to the Jews for the longest time. But now it's open to everyone. And in this mystery, there's a glorious wealth to it. So what is it? What is it that was hidden that's now been revealed? Well, he says it. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The mystery that's been revealed is that through Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles, anyone in the world can be reconciled to him. That salvation from sin, it is open to all. And not only does, does Christ come to reconcile people to God, but, but when we become followers of Jesus, that should reconcile us horizontally too to other people. Paul wrote all about this in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to see this more in depth. How Jesus is our peace and how his work has reconciled all people to one body, the church, through the cross. But then he said how it tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, especially in, in the city of Ephesus. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the, the mystery wasn't that this was going to happen that Gentiles would, would be included as fellow heirs with the Jews. We see prophecies talking about that very thing. The, the mystery wasn't that it was going to happen, but how? How was that going to happen? The mystery was revealed in the gospel, that God sent a Savior in a person, in Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived, that he died for our sin, 
that he rose from the dead, and that he ascended into heaven. And we see in this beautiful mystery the truth that if we believe in Christ for salvation, that he indwells us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that's been revealed, that God himself would dwell in his people, that they would share in his glory, that his grace and mercy are available to anyone who recognizes their need for it and freely accepts it as they repent of their sin and believe. We're going to see that truth again and again, not only in Colossians, but we see it in all of Paul's writings. It is the central message of Christianity. In Colossians, we're going to see that our lives are hidden with him. That's Colossians chapter 3. But Paul's life work, and he was making this mystery known to the world. We see how he did that specifically in the next verse. Verse 28. It says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. As Paul lived out his mission of, of sharing Christ with the world, he, he shared it in a few different ways. He did it with proclamation. He says that there. But he also did it in two other ways, with, with warning and with teaching. And, and if you think about it, those are really the unique ways that, that people hear the word. They hear about Jesus, right? The first, that, that truth needs to be proclaimed. The gospel message needs to go out. It needs to be shared with people who, who haven't heard it. In another letter that Paul wrote in Romans, he says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Christians are to live, at, live out and proclaim this message to the world. And then as people begin to follow Jesus, they often need warning or they need teaching. Like warning for those times when they're maybe living in sin. And then in love and in truth, we, we come alongside and we say, hey, look, you're out of step with, with what God would want for you here. And then we also teach, right, as we grow and as we learn more about God through his word, as we grow in discipleship and sanctification. Paul's life consisted of sharing Christ with people in those three ways. And all three ways had one goal. And he says at the very end of verse 28, the goal of all of it is so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's goal was not only that people would, would, would choose to follow Jesus, but that they would grow up, that they would not remain spiritual infants or spiritual toddlers or, or kids, but they would grow on into spiritual adulthood, that they would learn to treasure Christ more than anything else in the world. See, in this way, Paul was like a spiritual father to this group that he had actually never met because he cared about their development and their spiritual maturity in the faith. Now, if you've ever been a parent or even a mentor or a leader, you understand what Paul is saying here because your goal is the same for your kids or for the students that you lead. You want them to grow up. Right? You want them to grow into maturity. As a mom or dad, you know that eventually your kids are going to grow up and they're going to leave your home. Hopefully. <laughs> right? And while they're children now, your mindset needs to be future-minded. Your efforts now, the seeds you plant in them now, will hopefully grow as they become mature adults. If you're a, if you're a student ministry leader... You know that the students you mentor and that you lead right now, they're eventually going to graduate. They're going to move on. They're not necessarily going to have you every single week. 
See, I remember being a freshman at Michigan State University, and I just remember seeing firsthand how wide the spectrum was when it came to maturity. Okay, and what was fascinating to me was that we were all roughly the same age, right? We were 18 to 22, but the range of maturity, much bigger than that, okay? There were some students that, that, that I was going to school with, they were working multiple jobs while getting their education. They were balancing work and school and volunteering, sometimes the marriage and family, while they were taking responsibility for their lives. They were mature. But then you had others, they couldn't do their laundry, <laughs> no, and, and keyword, couldn't. It wasn't wouldn't. It wasn't like, I'm just not going to do it. It's like, it's a mystery. <laughs> they don't know how to do it. Okay? And the reason was why they had never been taught. It had been done for them over and over. They'd never been told, look, it's time for you to grow up. Learn how to wash your clothes. Okay? See, Paul's desire for the church, for those who believed in Jesus, is that they would grow, that they would grow up. Spiritually, And as one of your pastors, you just need to know, that is my hope for our church. That is my hope for you here as an individual, that you would grow up into maturity, that you'd know how to do your laundry, <laughs> that your knowledge and understanding of the word would grow and it would lead you toward wisdom, that your love for God and others would grow and it would lead you towards life and community living authentic and transparent lives with one another. But it would also lead us to reaching lost people with the gospel. This comes with spiritual maturity as we grow up. See, in these five verses, Paul shifts from talking about the Colossians to about himself and the life that God has called him to. Like a good leader, a good parent, or a good mentor, with, with people that they love and they lead, he shared his life with them. He shared how he experienced suffering in his life as a Christ follower, how, how God saved him and called him to serve others instead of himself, and, and how sharing Christ with the world, they became the most important aim of his life. And while we see that those three things, they marked Paul's life, they actually aren't unique to him. Any one of us who choose to become a Christian those things will mark our lives. Suffering, service, and sharing Christ. Paul wrote another letter to a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was a guy that had become a Christian through Paul's ministry, and he had begun traveling with Paul, and, in, and eventually, in his travels, he had landed in Ephesus, and he was, he was pastoring a church there. And, and it's really cool. We have two letters to Timothy from Paul in the New Testament, and, and one of them Paul tells him about suffering and to expect it. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes this, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. At that time, Timothy was pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus, which was staunchly against Christianity. It was a place where being a Christian was very costly. And you can read all about the work of the Christians in the, in the book of Ephesus in Acts 19. Um, if you've read the book of Acts, this is the chapter where there is a massive riot in the city because all of them just hate what Paul and the other Christians are doing to their town. You know, I think this verse, it, it's actually pretty fitting for just the time and culture that we live in today because society is moving farther and farther away 
from belief in God at all. That the Bible is true or relevant or helpful for life. Or that faith and reason can actually stand alongside one another. See, as followers of Jesus, if we're going to remain faithful to God in this time and in this place, we must be ready to suffer, to be misunderstood, to be rejected. But as that happens, we we continue to follow Christ, to live by what the word says, to strive to reach the world with the message of reconciliation that we see again and again and again through the pages of God's word to us. I want us to look at Paul's encouragement to Timothy right after he says that in verse 12 to expect persecution. Look at what he says, though. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Then verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and it's, and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. See, sometimes we may suffer because of our faith, because of the convictions and beliefs that we, beliefs that we have about God and about us and people and, and the world around us. But sometimes we might just suffer because we're human. We live in a world broken and fractured with sin. But as we encounter suffering, whether it's because of our faith or, or not, we must always go back to the word, what we have learned and firmly believed Because I really believe in our suffering, we can show the world that Christ is enough. That's what Paul showed with his life. See, as followers of Jesus, our lives are also marked by service. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. This was Peter writing to, to Christians. He said, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. See, when, when we become a Christian, our lives go from this hyper-focus about ourselves to God and to others. And what's so cool about that is that God equips us for that work. As, as those verses say, each one of us, not just some of us, each person has gifts and talents that God has given to serve, to be others-focused, to, to love and care for one another. And we do that by choosing to live sacrificially and serving one another in love. That's why so much of our church, so much of the stuff that happens, it's by you. Because you're the church. That's why we serve one another week in and week out on Sundays throughout the week. But one way we do that, that we serve one another, it is by sharing Christ. We saw in this passage how Paul was doing that for the Colossians, but later in the letter, chapter 3, he tells the Colossians to do that very thing for one another. Look at what he writes. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. See, as Christians, we bear the responsibility of helping one another grow in our faith. That is why this is so important. That's why life in community is so important. See, we proclaim the truths of the gospel to one another. We warn one another. 
when a brother or a sister is, is maybe walking in sin, and it's like, this is a really hard conversation, but I love you. And, and I struggle with this too. But we warn and we teach one another the word as we open it up together and live it out together in community. Because here's the reality. As followers of Jesus, none of us have reached full maturity. We're growing, every single one of us, and becoming more and more like Jesus as we walk every day. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 is, is one of my favorite verses, and it tells us that he, God, he who started a good work in us, he will be faithful to bring it to completion. And that happens. That, that process continues as we live obedient lives to him in our suffering, as we serve one another, as we share the hope of Christ within our church family, but also with the world that so desperately needs it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do first and foremost just thank you for your word, God, that we can gather here and that we can open your your word and know who you are. We can know your character. We can know what you care about. We can see your love for us and what you have given us. Lord, let us never take advantage that we have your word and it's available to us. We can know it and we can believe it. Lord, help us to do that. But God, I also thank you that that we see in the scripture, we see Paul. We see a man whose life was marked by suffering and it was marked by service and sharing Christ. And, and in those very things, we see that those are the marks of a follower of Jesus, that we may suffer, that we serve one another, and that we share the hope of Jesus within our community and outside of it. God, we thank you for the hope that is ours in your son and what he has done for us. And God, I pray for us this week that we can cling to these, these truths. God, that because you have saved us, you empower us to live faithful lives to you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's in his name that I pray, amen.